Do you have any raw honey from the area there? Yes. Yeah, we have a okay. a uh, supply um, a feed store that we get local honey from. Yeah, because that generally with a lot of the local allergens. Um, yeah. I know that it seems to have helped me uh, um, since I started well getting it into my diet once I learned about tremendously. Judy still struggles a little longer than I do, but um, I can two to four weeks being an issue, you know, for me when it really gets yeah. peak. Most of ours is ragweed. <clears throat> yeah, I don't... <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, we just have so much. Like last couple of weeks, it's been real windy, so blowing yeah. a lot of dirt and everything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, alrighty. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, Rich is having a little trouble connecting. It could be his connection down in Florida, but um, we'll get underway here with some some general thoughts. As I said, Russell, you know, it was interesting that you you made reference to, you know, intervention, divine intervention, and the biblical record of that. And I do believe, likewise, that's where my thoughts kind of directed me here. I mean, last fellowship last year, we did a pretty extensive fellowship, and it's in the archives um, uh, to just try to get a little more understanding for several of the individuals about how Passover came into existence, not just the the record in Exodus, but taking this back into the understanding of the month of Abib and where that was in the biblical record and some other things pertaining to um, the record of Passover uh, New Testament record of Passover being observed. Certainly, that would have been after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which some seem to bring into question whether or not uh, things uh, such as these recorded for our history and for our uh, record were just something that no longer existed after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we went into a fairly extensive um, lesson, essentially, on that to to try to help people to see how it how it it works into this time frame that we're we are working with in in the early month of April, and. <clears throat> So I, I didn't want to go into that again from periodically from time to time. I think it's necessary that we do 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 that. But basically, the the things that I was thinking of that I just wanted to just reflect on and bring our minds to as we prepare to to uh, earnestly seek uh, to remember this day, this Passover Lamb that was slain in our behalf, um, the Son of God. There were some thoughts that I was having this week just regarding the state of affairs in our country, uh, certainly the worldwide uh, situation as well. And when you think about the biblical historical record and what it reflects, it reflects that God at times intervenes in the affairs of the created 
to relieve others of affliction and oppression or bondage. And the intervention at times with men by a man has not been necessarily because of the goodness of the individual specifically, although in some cases it has been specifically stated that way. But if you consider it, it's because those for whom the intervention is intended must be good. And sometimes I don't think we think about that because if there's an intervention that's going to be done, we need to think about and consider that it is being done for someone or for the benefit of someone and what the purpose would be and and how he has has recorded that for us and obviously what necessitates a favor from god so whether it's from a single display of divine intervention means yahweh our god is recorded for all the world over to see the the comfort that's actually available through obedience to his will saving and defending the righteous from the unrighteous. And he's armed the good or the righteous with all power and authority in his name and under his divine will to overcome all unrighteousness in his absence. He condemned the unrighteous to a watery tomb, saving eight souls alive for the, for the goodness of one man, Noah. And he condemned the Egyptian army to a watery tomb, saving essentially a half a million to two million, depending on how the account uh, can be attributed um, to the number that of the Israelites that were led out of Egypt. And he condemned to destruction, although Abraham attempted righteous intervention, entire cities unable to find so much as even ten righteous, saving only three alive. And he commissioned to destruction an entire geographical region of people in Canaan because of their wickedness. And he also gave the good, seemingly the good, into bondage, that is Israel and Judah, for becoming unrighteous and wicked in his sight and saving only a remnant to build upon. He's given us the Holy Spirit to tell us why we are forsaken and desolate, and the sanctifying power is thus withdrawn. And in all the evidence before us and the history recorded, one would think that we would be as the captives in captivity, hanging our hearts, clothing ourselves in sackcloth and ashes and sighing and mourning and cleansing to or rather, I suppose, ceasing to act wickedly and also just by the shed blood of our Father's Son that we might be healed of our wickedness. Jacob Israel has once again turned against its own self. The, the kindred brotherhood has been divided, Ephraim and Manasseh, America and England, they're sold into their own captivity, uh, turned right to the Babylonian usury money merchants of their own brother, 
Esau, who himself sold his birthright for a mess of pottage. It's always the guilty party who judges the law as too severe. But yet Jacob Israel is awaiting God to mete out judgment on the wicked while professing to be good and altogether righteous. In our own nature, we're required to examine our ways in relation to the historical record of God's revelation to man. And of necessity must conclude, it is we who have again forsaken God. Yet, we judge our just rewards as too severe, making ourselves to be righteous and God to be unrighteous. As long as we believe we are the righteous and will not turn from our ways, it simply isn't possible for us to cease forsaking God. When a child is chastised and punished, he he relents with tears and promises to act differently in the future. And the father's compassion returns in pity. And the father withdraws the hand of punishment. The biblical historical record exists for our learning and understanding that we, being found in that condition recorded, would, would know what to do. Within the last 250 years, We wrote a constitution to govern the people, yet arguably every provision is contrary to the will of God. And notwithstanding that, every provision is violated by men themselves from its presumed original intent. Users of taking control of our currency, lending us our needs, and dictating every single aspect of our economic exchange Murderers kill the unborn and petitioners for redress of grievances concerning this are jailed. John the Baptist petitioned a redress of grievances for unlawful acts. He was beheaded. Peter petitioned the people to repent and be converted that their sins would be blotted out. But what happened? Peter and John were arrested, being unlearned men and ignorant in the eyes of the Sadducees, the rulers, elders, scribes, and high priests. But they were certainly unable to deny the miracle of the lame man being made to walk whole again by the power of the name of Jesus. And these learned threatened them to no more speak in this name of Jesus. In chapter 4 of Acts, verse 29 to 31, we find recorded, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by strengthening forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the Holy One, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spake the word of God with boldness. Here we find the power manifest through human flesh as it was through Noah, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, and others throughout greater Israel. And then this Christ Jesus, 
Because this power did not come according to the preconceived notions and beliefs of the artifices of the things made with hands, such as a, a temple in Jerusalem and even a temporal king, or wearisome pilgrimages to the temple and offers and sacrifices, giving of gifts and tithes, seemingly to no avail and purpose. God has given us this picture of ourselves in the world, working, struggling, for a resting place from this toil. And yet, he offers it freely. God, our Father, comes in the person of flesh and blood. This Christ Jesus, whom the world is not worthy of, and the princes of the age determined he was not worthy of the title of their king, and so he was murdered for no cause. No crime. Innocent of his accusers, led to slaughter. And yet in his death, proposed to those who will receive this truth to acknowledge what he has done for them in preparing for them a house of rest for their souls, not by washing of the hands or by sacrifice, but by the free gift of his own shed blood, which purifies us who trust and believe enough to turn from our shameful behavior so that we might be seated in the house of God, no longer servants, but as sons, Christ's sons. As sons, we are to keep his name unspotted and to distinguish it among men that the world sees it as a shining beacon of light. And This is a cause of envy, because though they admire it, those who reject it covet the blessings that it bestows, but lacking the gift of the Spirit of God, which indwells these seeking to abide in the Father's will, his commands, statutes, and judgments to do the honor to his name, they dishonor it, bringing strife and oppression, imposing the will of men upon men, Blessings offered on terms so easy are set aside so that they may lord over one another and take without ceasing. Even that which was added 430 years later was to show us the toil of the service to God in tithes, offerings, and sacrifice. Yet at the close of the historical period of the prophets, To the days of Christ, roughly five centuries passed with no prophetical guide, so to speak, or other leader of Israel. Although the temple made with hands was rebuilt, the foundation for acknowledgement and worship of God further decayed beneath the beautiful and magnificent outward appearance. It indeed was a famine in the land of Palestine, not of the water which satisfies man's thirst, but the water that quenches man's quest for purpose and vindication of soul. Just as Amos 8.11 recorded, Israel grappled with the duty to understand and live within the will of God, 
something they could hardly do throughout the 1,500 years which preceded the 500 years I just referenced. And even with the encouragements and admonishments of the prophets. The evidence of apostasy is reflected in the divisions and factions under various political and social agendas which translated into varying beliefs and traditions and subsequently developed in their religious or spiritual interpretations. Not at all unlike the period of Noah's day, Abraham's day, the coming of Israel into the land of Canaan's day, the coming of the Messiah into Judea, and indeed in our own day. Such a remarkable distinction of nationality of Israel that her identity continued as the people blessed of the true God for more than 1,500 years. And whenever these worshipped Yahweh and obeyed his laws, temporal prosperity happiness was the inevitable consequence. But whenever they forsook God and worshipped or gave reverence to the created rather than the creator, there followed an inevitable and corresponding degeneracy of morals and with it a long train of discord, poverty, and subjection to foreign influences. And with this train of degeneracy or apostasy, it is evident. We trade the written and revealed testimony of Yahweh to guard against apostasy for a charter of peace, happiness, and goodwill from men themselves. We trade a charter of dependence on God for a charter of independence from God. We exchange a charter of divine principles for a charter of men's principles. We exchange a confession of faith and obedience to a confession of outright disobedience. And for this cause, he gives us up to our own devices that we might see our apostasy. How often shall we stand Dagon upright before Yahweh our God, not recognizing God's hand and interposition in the affairs of man to vindicate his word that it will not return void? It was only the outward manifestation of the glory and magnificence of the temple made with hands that Israel seemingly could see her identity and presumably command respect from the world. So it is today. America and European nations, once beautiful and respected, now hated and scorned. And so likewise is this prophesied of, of Israel in Isaiah 31, because they looked not to the Holy One of Israel and disavowed the king to reign in righteousness, as was recorded at Isaiah 32. And in faithfulness, we disregard, excuse me, in forgetfulness, we disregard the words by the mouth of Moses at Deuteronomy 18.15 concerning the prophet who would be raised up from among them, which Peter also reminded them of at Acts 3.22, 
in which Philip conveyed to Nathanael at John 1.45. And after this conveyance, upon seeing this prophet, Nathanael exclaimed, Master, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. John 1.49. This is that prophet and king prophesied of at Isaiah chapter 4, 7, 9, and 53, certainly at Micah chapter 5, and Zechariah 6, whom they were to hear and heed all of his words. And yes, it is Yahweh, the God of Israel, who as a king prophesied to set his son upon his throne yet while he lived. And so Yahweh did set his son Jesus upon his throne as having all power and authority. And this is he who is spoken of at Psalms chapter 2, that the heathen rage and take counsel against the Lord and his anointed, wherein he declares, Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee. This word anointed here is Christos in the Septuagint, rendering it against Yahweh and his Christ. This is the Christ of which it was said in Daniel 7:14, there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all nations, languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. In this kingdom, every tree that brings not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. It was not by being a descendant of Abraham at all as was believed. As such, the kingdom of God came without observation. In the third chapter of John is the principle of old, prominently conveyed, Jesus is visited by Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and Christ refers to him as a master in Israel, Luke chapter 3, verse 10. Here, Christ conveys everyone born of the Spirit is like a wind which is heard, but is unable to detect where it comes or where it goes. The kingdom of God is not as many expect because If one really desires to enter the kingdom of God and be a disciple, it's not done at night. But it is received and confessed openly, not by some light, vague, and transient center of prayer or phraseology in our declaration or constitutions, but outwardly as well as inwardly. Do not just hear the doctrines of Christ, profess them boldly and openly. Receive the Spirit in faith, not as a condition of right of inheritance as children of Abraham, but as a newborn child. That's what he conveyed to Nicodemus. The blessings of the kingdoms of Christ belong to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The remedies man proposes for mortal ills are 
woefully deficient, rendering evil for good and good for evil. But we're told that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This Christ commissioned 12, then 70, to the work of the franchise of the dominion or the kingdom of God. And with that very backdrop of their mission, routed nonetheless in difficulty and persecution, Christ's work of just three years with a mere handful of apostles has lived on for millenniums already. And only the Father knows for how long yet to come. These disciples' adherence to Christ's teaching were not the educated and of wealth and influence but ordinary men of Israel, bringing nothing additionally to Christ, Jesus displayed an external humility, a person of no reputation as compared with his moral and spiritual glory. In this, Jesus is established. The deep roots of faith and dominion without bribe or appeal to the baser passions of ulterior ambition. He and the disciples reaped no worldly advantage of which is ordinarily associated with such extensive undertakings. In the infinite wisdom of God, these disciples are witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but to the uttermost part of the earth. The qualities most expedient of witnesses is temerity and confidence in what has been seen. It is simple and uncomplicated. It renders useless the wise. There's no new philosophical discord to be added. No additional history for the historians to skew. We know of and learn of Christ from nothing he writes or leaves himself, only the testimony of others. And this is the strength of his gospel. Witnesses, Peter says, chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. One of the things that I always think that we need to do in remembering this day is not so much what we find in Genesis and Exodus, but in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we have an angel foretelling of John's birth to Elizabeth. And in verses 26, we have the angel appearing 
to foretell about Jesus' birth. And it behooves us to go back there. Let's begin at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation it should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come unto thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, we're going to skip forward a little bit. You recall that in this Luke account, Zacharias, who was Elizabeth's husband, he had a little bit of a question as how this was going to be possible, seeing how they were both old. And the angel struck Zacharias dumb in the mouth that he could not speak. As we get to verse 57, we find that John the Baptist's birth is, is now being recorded. We're going to skip over to chapter, uh, verse 67 of chapter 1 and begin there. So Elizabeth is giving birth, and they're disputing over the name that should be given. I'm just giving a little more backdrop here before we get to 67. And they ask Zacharias, and is as at this time that his mouth is opened um, after he gives the name in writing on a piece of paper. And now we begin at 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And that's directly from Jeremiah 3.8, because the, his people had been divorced and cast off. So in order to be redeemed, something had to happen. And God has brought this about through these two events that are being recorded here in Luke chapter 1. Again, verse 69, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him 
all the days of our life. And now, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us, to give to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts until the day of his showing unto Israel. We've gone over so many things in this scripture before about the prophecy of the salvation to Israel, the redemption to Israel, the showing unto Israel, and it's not insignificant. And so I I bring you here as part of this Passover fellowship to remind the, the, the necessity of remembering what was being done here. He had visited his and redeemed his people according to the word here of Zacharias and certainly according to the scripture and the prophets. The cross-references to the scriptures in this chapter are innumerable almost. He's raised a horn of salvation for the house of David from Abraham, the tribe of Judah. And he has saved them from their enemies. In other words, those who hate them to grant them mercy in remembering the oath that he made to the covenant. Remember, he had divorced them and cast them off, Jeremiah 3.8. He's also promised here that they're going to be delivered out of the hand of the enemies and that they'd serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness all the days of their lives. And it was going to be a light to them that sat in darkness and in the shadow of death because Israel had sat in the shadow of death. It was divorced and cast off. It had been put away by their God. And they were in fear of the death that they were to have, separated and apart from God. We know also that the scripture reveals to us that unless you believe, he says, that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Micah, as do all the prophets, foretell the various judgments imposed in lieu of the just rewards of the sin. Death as an adulterer, violating the marriage covenant and oath, was not insignificant. Worshiping whom they will and serving whom they desire, seeking others to be a god unto them, to rule over them, even a king. And yet they adhered to the commandments of Omri, the statutes of men in a disobedience to the command. They sought the ways of oppression of the people. Those of you that have your emblems prepared, you can get those ready. I want to drop us over to Hebrews chapter 6.
Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on in hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do, if God permit, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. We don't want to be as those that put him to an open shame because we now become partakers of the ungodly and unrighteousness. Continuing on in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 11, but Christ become a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bowls, of goats, and the ashes of heifers sprinkling of the unclean, sanctified to the peering of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressors that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So here we have the testament, the former testament could not be made effective until the dead death of the testator. And until that occurred, it had no force. Now, as we prepare to take communion in remembrance of this Passover, For those of you that will want to know where I'm at in the scriptures, I'll be turning into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The first thing we might want to understand before we partake is that verse... Um, I believe it's 7. got to get back to 5 here. 1 Corinthians 5. And in verse 7... We're admonished 
and instructed to purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Again, as I said, I'll be bringing you the communion from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Beginning at verses 23, 26. For I have received of the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. They take of the bread. And after the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup of the New Testament in my blood, this do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Take up the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. This is our due service to our Savior and Redeemer. In first second uh, first Peter chapter two we're instructed to lay aside essentially all all evils and to honor and remember this holy priesthood. And in verse uh well, I think I want to come to 
Let me just read from two chap- chapter 2, verse 4. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the nations, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Dropping on down to 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. For as we were sheep going astray, we are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of your souls. That I say, amen. Well, my prayer is that this has caused each of us to reflect on the true meaning of our Passover lamb prepared for us from the foundation of the world. We need not worry about what others think. We need not worry about those learned what they believe, nor how people see us, but rather how God sees us, how the Son presents us to the Father. Amen. Amen.
Well, those are the summation of the thoughts that I was thinking about as I wanted to reflect on Passover. And I thought it was interesting, Russell, how you had once again this evening swerved into that idea that I was thinking, which was how God has intervened in the affairs of man and how he intervened indeed in the affairs of Jacob Israel, the Israelites. And it's probably no accident. There's this, I used to subscribe to a a couple of things. I think it was um, something, uh, what was it? Something of the martyrs. Um, it was a website and another one. I remember. And and anyhow, I, as a result of that, I started getting this this email from this Eliza Lorkin, whatever he is, uh, um, Eli Lazorkin Eisenberg. And uh, so I. I unsubscribed to the ones to to avoid receiving this guy's polluted blasphemy. And for some reason, he popped in here today. And I'd like to share with you the title of the the short dissertation and the purpose of it is really so that you're led to his his book that's for sale. So he titles the little essay, the short little essay or the short little article, Is Easter a Pagan Holiday? There's a growing number of Christians who think that the celebration of Easter is rooted in pagan traditions. One of the basic assumptions is that the name Easter is a Christian appropriation of Ishtar, a Babylonian fertility goddess. Even though the words may sound similar, they probably have no etymological connection. The English word Easter likely comes from the Proto-Germanic Austron, A-U-S-T-R-O-N, which means sunrise arguably a fitting name for a celebration that commemorates Jesus rising from the dead. Well, I'll just stop there. These are so crafty with their words and so crafty with the things that they say. You know, when you spend 30 years trying to understand the Word of God, as many of us have done, and our children are now doing uh, with each of us, um, boy, you pick up on the cleverness of, of the words. And he goes on to say, it is important to understand that outside the English-speaking world, Easter is known by its proper name, Pasha. This means that the majority of Christians in the world celebrate Pasha an Aramaic synonym of the Hebrew Pesach, which means Passover rather than Easter. 
During this feast, traditional Christians celebrate the work of Christ's redemption, believing that only in his resurrection is God's forgiveness truly sealed. Because of Jesus' resurrection, the judgment of God passes over believers, just as the angel of death passed over the Israelite homes marked by the blood of the Lamb during their captivity in Egypt. However, an average English-speaking Christian often fails to see the direct connection between Easter, that is, Pashah, and Passover, Pesach. Many of the rituals and customs appear to be different. Also, in order to ensure that no one connected and therefore confused the two, it was decided at the Council of Nicaea that the Feast of Easter, or Pashah, would be celebrated according to a different calendar not on the 14th of Nisan, as was originally decreed in the Torah of Moses. And then he ends the article. So we know that um, the 14th of Nisan is, in fact, correct, and that is according to the Bible, and it has been changed. And he glosses over it so cleverly and so craftily as if, you know, to just disregard it altogether. And yeah, the the church world, I guess for lack of a better uh, term, uh, does continue in a celebration of Easter. And I believe that by this, the the real understanding of the redemptive work of Christ in redeeming Israel and bringing back together Jacob, excuse me, Judah and Israel, the two houses, back under one head, one king, one leader, one God, is lost and it never returns. And of course, this is part of our problem is not knowing who we are we have less understanding of the why involved in the Passover. Not just the Passover which occurred in the Exodus, but the Passover which is the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us to remove us from that bondage of death that we were covenanted with because we had forsaken God and had been cast off and divorced. So know that that many of you here obviously understand this and your children have now understood this. And the greater body of the Christian assembly, the body of Christ, still yet remains in the dark regarding this. So we will continue to do what we do with these fellowships and provide the archives available that has more of this information provided from time to time in short fellowships that we do and continue to abide in the will uh, to continue to bring the gospel of Christ, uh, especially among ourselves because we have to be reminded of it 
and we have to continue to do it, that our children's children will actually know this and will actually be taught it. Somebody have some thoughts they want to add to our Passover fellowship this evening? I wasn't intending to make it real long, and uh, I probably went 15 minutes longer here than I had intended with my last thoughts here. So Rich, Isaac, and and uh, Esther, and, and um, Russell, any of you guys want to add any thoughts? And certainly we can bring prayers uh, this evening as well for various things that each of you might um feel compelled to want to bring prayer for as well. Uh, Doug, are you there? I am. Okay, I wasn't sure if you could hear me. This is Texas. Hi, Texas. Uh, I'm driving right now, but uh, I just wanted to say thank you and and appreciate getting to listen to you talk and share the work with us. and uh, I was just thankful for it. So I wanted to say thank you and that I appreciate Amen. it. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's to the glory and the blessings of the Lord. And I thank you, though, for for uh, the kind words. Um, anybody, anything more that you want to want to share with uh, those of us here fellowshipping tonight? If you would just pray over God's people to have the strength to examine their, their lives, areas that they need to be better in, areas of wickedness that we need to turn from, and give us the strength to do so, whatever it may be. All right, I had a little trouble hearing that, Esther, and your volume wasn't coming good through quite as good, but I think I caught the essence of it. Uh, wanted to uh, put out some prayer for God's people to have the courage and the strength, and and um, uh, we certainly can, can bring that prayer in. Rich, would you like to bring us a prayer uh, in that regard? Rich, you're not, you're showing up, but I'm not hearing you if you're trying to say anything, and it doesn't look like you're muted, unless I have that number wrong. So, well, let's do this. I will bring some prayer in that regard, and anybody that wants to add to it can certainly do so. Heavenly Father, we've heard Brother Esther's request. Go ahead. I was just going to say before you do, Doug, I just want to throw this out there that Noah took his task and was faithful. In spite of all the mockery he had to put up with. And he continued to do the right thing. And the laughing continued and the mockery continued. And just put yourself in his place right now. We're telling people that this vaccine is deadly and they, they mock us. 
And so we can kind of understand a little, little bit about what Noah went through. But we got to stay the course. And I think those, those things is that there's some linkage to what, what, what took place. We could be in, we could be in line right now for a monumental flood of death. I'm talking about people just falling over. I don't know, but we do know that this is poison and they're in such a hurry to give it out. It's unbelievable. So this is a good time to remember. Thank God. For educating us. If we search, we'll get educated. I just wanted to get that in here tonight because don't you feel a sense of urgency in this regard? Oh, I, I, I most certainly do. I remember when Pastor Peters, you know, began to come to an understanding about Passover and mm-hmm. along about, I don't know, 2007 or whatever. And we'd been observing Passover for a number of years. I, I mentioned Isaac, I think, last week. I think it's certainly somewhere in the in the late 90s, 96, 7, 8, we were observing it for quite a few years before uh, mm-hmm. 2000, I know, and had come to the understanding and, and felt compelled by the things that began to be revealed to me, essentially, and and um, felt the necessity uh, you know, was was pretty profound that, that we should. And so absolutely, I mean, I look at where we're at today, and I'm thinking of this this remnant, this people that that he will build upon um, upon this ruin that that it would seem clear is about to come, um, especially with regards to this vaccine that they're peddling out there and and sticking in everybody's arms. And it reminds me of the days of the Tower of the Babel. It reminds me of the days Mm -hmm. of Nebuchadnezzar. It reminds me of the days Mm -hmm. of the place you said of Noah. Um, And the blood on the little. Yeah, Yeah. the blood on the little. That took faith. Right. And uh, absolutely. So, Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we're two or more gathered in your name. We thank you for the opportunity you give us to connect here through the technology as we're separated by distance in the land that you gave us for an inheritance. Father, we pray for your people, as Esther had said, to have strength and courage and and that they find wisdom in your word, Father, and that the, the time that they have spent uh, being confined to their homes has been a time they've spent uh, engaging themselves in your word. Um, Father, we just pray that, that they continue to be guided and directed and that you find us worthy to be servants for you at this time and in this hour in your absence. Father, we pray for your strength, courage, and guidance to fall upon them, your Holy Spirit to dwell in them, to strengthen them against the, the wiles of these wicked that seek to to do them harm. And Father, let it be no no mistake that we 
we just don't understand. Let it be fully understood that there are enemies of yours, and these enemies of yours, they're enemies of us because we want to abide in you. And, Father, we just pray that you continue to give us all power and the Holy Spirit necessary, as as Apostle Paul had said and Apostle Peter, give us that strength by your hand, not that we would be found to be the ones, but rather that the power is in your name. And Father, we desire that power once again to be able to to harness your will and your strength in these many, many people all over the globe who are your people and who have come to love you and want to abide in you, that they be protected from these wicked that seek to do that harm. And Father, as Brother Rich always prays, the imprecatory prayers for us too, is we want that to be brought upon their heads. We want their children to become the fatherless. We want them to be the ones taken in their own deceits and their own devices. And Father, it goes without saying, we know our complicitness in our sin. It's always easier for us to blame another. But we have to recognize that in order for the wicked to be rising above us and the wicked to be prevailing against your people and against you, it's because of sin. And so, Father, we pray for your forgiveness of that sin. Pray for your boundless mercy upon the things that many of these, even in our midst right here, had nothing to do with. We didn't write the documents that we were compelled to live under or that we thought we were living under in a righteous way only to find out that we actually weren't as we were once again taught your word. You told us that if they would but teach the people your your word, we would have turned. So, Father, we just pray that you continue to help us to teach that word so that they can turn. Because I believe that, Father. I believe that that is so true and so correct that if they were to know the truth and they were to know your will and to know your word the way they ought to know it, they would realize the error of their way and they would indeed turn. So, Father, help us, each and every one of us, to be teachers and and to share that truth as you taught the apostles to go out and share that truth and to share that, that message, your will and your word. We ask these things, Father, as we remember your son that you gave for us. We thank you, Father, for that gift of redemption and salvation you offered us being yet in our sins, having yet not even contemplated our our own necessity for repentance, and yet you gave it freely. 
Father, we thank you for that. We want to honor and acknowledge that in this fellowship here this evening as we remember our Passover lamb that you provided for us. Take away our sin. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, I don't want to keep you any longer than this. So I will say have a great rest of your evening and continue to have a great week. And we'll look forward to fellowshipping with you on Tuesday. I had a mind to maybe drop Tuesday off, but I left it on and uh, give us a break or whatever. But um, um uh, I'm fine with it, so I've got fellowship scheduled yet for Tuesday night again. So we'll continue on the same schedule that we've been, and I hope that all of you uh, continue to do well and help. Trust that He will provide for each and every one of you. And we've given some tools in those messages in early March as to how to stay on the up and up of this of this virus but yeah we don't need to fear it and and we don't need to fear the quote unquote additional strains that they're already peddling um so keep all of those things handy that are necessary to keep your immunity up and uh, everyone will be just fine and keep everything in prayer and supplication and if anybody has needs and prayer needs and so forth and, and health concerns, certainly reach out through email and let us know or text me and we'll certainly get a prayer chain going uh, for those that, that may have something that materializes. But in the meantime, I believe God has already been blessing us and has continued to protect us um, it sounds like everybody's been doing well in their health, and um, um, I'm just giving great uh, praise and glory to God for for knowing our needs hey. and keeping us protected. Hey, before we get off here, let me offer up a prayer for what we've been told is a, a guy fighting for his life right now. Lord, we hold up this fellow, Jerry Shoner. As he lies in the hospital tonight with this diagnosis of a of a COVID strain from Central America, he didn't. They don't know where he got it. They don't know where it came from. Lord, it took him over yesterday, and the mother's heartbroken and struggling for help. And the father, I'm sure as well. Lord, we lift we lift it up to you right now and say, please intervene. Please intervene in the life of Jerry Shoner and heal him so that he might glorify you afterwards, Jesus. Amen. Amen, Amen. Father. We do. We ask for that, that healing, Father. Let those physicians that are around him know what is necessary. There are a lot of physicians that, that now know what's going on. And, Father, even in your word, you tell us that, it's the sick that needs a physician. 
And so, Father, from time to time, we need extra help because there's something that we can't understand or that we don't know. And, Father, in this situation, Jerry needs uh, divine protection all around him. Then we need it to be seated. So, Father, we see that as being necessary, and we lift him up to you in prayer. We ask, Father, that you take all the measures necessary that, as Russell said, he may give glory to you. And, Father, I just pray for all those out there that are in this situation that that they recover and recuperate, that, Father, they do give praise and glory to you. Uh, I just ask, Father, that they remember you, and I just pray that they will. So we ask it in the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ for your healing hand to remain upon us and to know our needs far in advance that you can keep that protection stationed around us. We ask it. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, all right, brethren. Uh, I will not keep you any longer here this evening. We're already at a normal hour and a half time frame, so I trust that all of you will have a great evening, and if you want to hang on or something, we can, but I wasn't intending to have anybody be kept any longer. So I hey, travel, Texas. Yep. All right, good night. Good night. All right, good, good night, night, y'all. Good night. Good night. Thanks, Thanks for sharing your Thank time. Good night, everybody. Good night, yes, sir. Uh, Jeremiah, if you can get a button up there, I can't get a button up, so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what, what that, that is. is. <laughs> what was that? What was that? Uh, I can't. Uh, I can't. I can't get the record button up. Thank <laughs> you.